0: From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government
1: Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Interior, Homeland Security, and Justice Departments are just three of the agencies that responded to the riot at the Capitol building yesterday. Acting Attorney General Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Rosen says his agency's response included agents from the FBI, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, Federal Bureau of Prisons and U.S. Marshals Service. GovExec reports DHS components responding included the Secret Service and Federal Protective Service. Justice Department email inboxes were one target of Russian hackers in the recent SolarWinds attack. The department says hackers accessed around 3% of inboxes. FCW reports the department doesn't believe hackers got into its classified systems. A hiring freeze will continue at the Customs and Immigration Service. Employees of the agency tell GovExec the agency says the freeze that started in February 2020 will continue now through March of this year. The agency put the freeze in place because of a drop in revenue because of the pandemic. The latest edition of the Plum Book lists 9,000 appointee jobs the Biden administration can fill, but not everyone the Biden team asks to take one of those jobs should necessarily do it. Mark Abramson, president of Leadership, Inc., he's co-author of Succeeding as a Political Executive, and he's writing about taking a political job in GovExec. Mark, welcome. It's good to see you. Um, Hi, Francis. It's very compelling, from what I have been told, When the president of the United States asks you to do something or his designee asks you to do something, what should somebody step back and think about if they get offered a a political job?
2: Good. good. I think that's an excellent question because my impression is people don't think about it enough. They really have to decide if they're the right person in the right job. They could be qualified, but is it the right fit, 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 fit? Because often people don't get the job they really want. And the discussion really ends up, will you take uh, job number B or job number C, and job number B or job number C is not what they wanted, which is job A. So I think it's easier when the fit is good. So that word
1: fit is a
2: key element of the piece that
1: you wrote. And there are four of them that you discussed. Let's walk through each one of those. The first one is the experience fit. That sounds like that's pretty straightforward. Is it as straightforward as it sounds?
2: Well, people really have to make a decision as to whether their prior experience has led them to the job. Have they dealt with a big organization? What's their experience? Also, is their experience in the area of expertise? I don't think it's as easy to transfer expertise from one domain to another domain. So I think you have to figure out, is your experience relative to the subject matter? And also, is your experience relevant to a big organization?
1: The second one that you write about is the job fit. Is that as simple as do I think I want to take this job or are you referring back to what you mentioned a moment ago? Okay, It's
2: really about the job itself is I have a thing I've been saying now for over 25 years. I've been around that long. And basically my impression of spending time in this town is there's two types of people I've seen in my career. There's policy types and there's management types and they aren't the same. And if you look at the uh, PUM book, you can really identify and have actually done this is which are the policy jobs like the Assistant Secretary for Policy and which are the management jobs like running the Veterans Benefits Administration. The question is, is the job fit? Are you putting a policy person in a management job or are you putting a management person in a policy job? If you get it wrong, the people aren't happy. The policy types don't like to run organizations and the management types don't like to spend their time talking about policy all day without actually running anything.
1: A uh, quick sidebar, that was a nice shout out to your co-author of the book, uh, Paul Lawrence, who's serving exactly, as the head of the exactly, Veterans Benefits because, Administration now. So that's be, very nicely done.
2: That's because that's, Well, it was really a good example of a job which is management. It does not make policy on veterans. It's, it's a manager. And actually, in, that, in the case of Paul, that was a good fit. He's a manager. He has experience. And I think that's a good example of when it is the right job.
1: The third fit that you write about is the personality and work style fit. What are you referring to there mark
2: I'm talking about running uh, a um, a bureaucracy. do you some people may not be comfortable with the pace of the bureaucracy? Are you impatient? you don't want to spend time in the bureaucracy so it really is your personality. Are you an entrepreneur? You can't quite be an entrepreneur in government it's hard it can happen sometimes the best example is i think we talk a lot about businessmen coming into government but there really is two kinds of businessmen there's people from large businesses like ford general motors the big thing big companies have an easier time coming into the federal government because they come from large organizations where the problem comes is small businessmen people who started up a company and come into government, and they go from running 300 people to 3,000. So the job fit isn't good, and the personality in their own company, if you're managing a startup, you're really the head of the, the, head of the organization. You founded it, and it's a very difficult transition from people from small gov- uh, from small organizations to big organizations so that's what i'm talking about is the fit and the temperament if you've been in a big bureaucracy you know the pace if you haven't it's going to come as a surprise and be very frustrating to you we have about a minute left uh, mark
1: for the last fit and that is the scrutiny fit anybody that takes one of these jobs even if it's not senate confirmed will have a lot of eyeballs on them won't they
2: exactly and you have to be willing to make all your taxes available you have to be willing to put your family at scrutiny and i must say for francis i don't want to discourage people from taking jobs in government it really is an honor to serve in government my concern is getting the right people in the right job and not enough time is spent on getting the job fit so i think people should come if invited But they should really think about it and answer my four questions. Are you the right person for the right job at the right time?
1: Mark, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you on the program.
2: Good. Have us a good day.
1: Up next, $2.5 billion for the electromagnetic spectrum. Straight ahead on Government Matters, where the money's going and how the new technology will help the Defense Department. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. The National Spectrum Consortium will award $2.5 billion for rapid prototyping for the electromagnetic spectrum. 5G, cloud computing, and augmented reality are some of the technologies recipients of the funding will explore. Sal Dietry is chairman of the National Spectrum Consortium. He's vice president, general manager for federal federated wireless. Sal, thanks for joining me to talk about the work that the NSC is doing. Congratulations uh, on this award. Who do you want to make proposals and what kind of proposals do you want to get from the partners that will be, that will be going after this, these, uh, this grant, this money?
0: Uh, Francis, yeah, great to join you again. Thanks for having me back on the show. I, I think a couple of things um, that strike me about uh, Spectrum Forward uh, and, and this opportunity is, is, one, it's a doubling of our prior effort in Spectrum and Wireless uh, with the Department of Defense. And I think that comes at a time as we look um, at the growth in 5G, as it rolls out nationwide and globally, our globally competitive nature in the space. We see the launch of things like spectrum sharing in this country, uh, very successful auctions. We see very large uh, C-band spectrum auctions now that are breaking records. It uh, makes sense that the DoD is now doubling down on this investment in spectrum and then in 5G. So uh, there are a lot of different companies who are coming to us. Uh, you know, I'd also add into that as we look at spectrum as a warfighting domain, um, that the country that has ubiquitous connectivity is going to win the fight in the future. And so there are numerous opportunities in spectrum forward for companies, whether they are in 5G spectrum sharing electronic warfare isr uh, new rf innovations uh, to come and work through the national spectrum consortium we've seen almost a doubling of our membership uh, since you and i uh, spoke about a year ago
1: what is happening in this uh, business right now on the industry side and on the academia side you alluded to what's happening on the government side and the note that i have here says the consortium according to inside defense established in 2015 that was a 5 year 1.25 billion dollar ota and so i think your doubling down analogy is right on target what's going on today and what do we expect to see in the coming years that would cause the pentagon to come back in 5 years and say okay we want to continue we want to continue again
0: well, well, first, just global trends in wireless growth. Both in this country, uh, as we see globally, there's a huge demand for, for wireless um, growth and more capacity and speeds. In the commercial industry, that's true as well for the Department of Defense is they're looking more at autonomous systems, at the fourth industrial revolution, IoT, smart logistics. These are all going to be powered by wireless spectrum 5G and 6G technology. So I really think we're on the cusp of the fourth industrial revolution and automation and smart technologies. And all of that is gonna be driving wireless. So I I think we will see five years from now uh, continued growth in this area. Uh, What's happening right now is as we see is uh, within the consortium uh, since you and I spoke is uh, we have had some successful awards uh, of RFPs and spectrum in, in 5G. We just had the industry day here in December uh, to launch off some additional RFPs uh, in spectrum that we see here in January and February. Uh, there's gonna be a in- round of industry days coming up here for some additional 5G RFPs. Uh, so we're looking at uh, as many as a dozen RFPs potentially coming out just in um, the first quarter. A quick so
1: sidebar because- I, In
0: terms of the, the capability.
1: A, a quick sidebar that's not related to 5G Sal What's an industry day look like in a virtual environment that we live in today?
0: Well, this gets that's an interesting point. It it really gets back to one of the the big hallmarks of the consortium is our collaborative nature. So unlike a traditional FAR contract under the OTA, you can reach out and contact a program manager or a principal investigator anytime during the RFP process, including uh, the very last week of the RFP and that allows for a tremendous amount of collaboration so it's not simply attending one event and then you've got a proposal due uh maybe 30 60 days later it's an ongoing series of conversations uh, and the format seems to work well over zoom uh, and some of the other technologies the wireless uh, remote technologies so i i think it's one of the big strengths of the ota is that you can keep coming back and having uh, one-on-one meetings with folks um, you know, in this virtual environment, uh,
1: which is quite different than a traditional FAR-based contract. I right. I apologize for going in a completely different direction, but it's one of those kind of process things that people, I don't think, are thinking about as much in the virtual environment that we live in. And it sounds like we're going to live in this world for a fair amount of time yet. Um, In the time that we have left, what's the timeline look like for the department? You have this ability now to evaluate these proposals and make these awards. At what point in time do you expect that you'll be able to go back to the department and say, okay, here's one that we'd like you to take a look at?
0: Well, just to kind of lay out the process, the, the, the Department of Defense hosts a collaboration event with our members, So, um, the department itself will then put out a request for RFPs from which the members will then competitively bid on those RFPs finally, then the department will come back and and make an award on that. So they've already lined up several RFPs in the area of spectrum and uh, 5g that are coming out this year. And one of the benefits of the OTA is from the time an RFP uh hits the street you know the proposals are due very quickly about 30 days 45 days afterwards and then you know there's an expedited process to get folks under contract uh, a few months after award uh so we see opportunities here um in the first quarter in the first half of the year for our members and the partners uh to capitalize on 5g and wireless rfps
1: sal dietrich thanks very much for coming back great to have you thanks francis appreciated it
2: I'm Sharice Hanner. Government Matters is always one click away whenever you want to get the latest in the business of government. Like us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, and connect with us on LinkedIn. While you're on the go, tune into the Government Matters Podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn.
1: This month's Digital VA is brought to you by Pure storage. Agencies across government are assessing the damage from the Solar Winds hack. One security measure agencies are taking to secure their networks and data is DevSecOps. Reginald Cummings is executive director of infrastructure operations at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Reginald, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Tell me about the, this evolution, the move of, uh, to the DevSecOps model, and the impact that it's had on the infrastructure at your agency.
3: Yeah, it's, it's been an evolution that's probably, you know, in my mind, uh, you know, just kind of an iteration of, of some of the things that we're already been that we were already doing. Um, but specifically in terms of the, the current, you know, digital transformation that, that we're undertaking, you know, one of the things that that has really occurred is is a a combination of of. Introducing various teams, um, both culturally as well as you know directly with uh, with with one another in terms of you know owning what you what you build and 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 then working the infrastructure to allow those teams that are that are doing things like you know developing or or putting out you know capabilities, uh, giving them the ability to self-service uh, to 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 do the things that they need to do to ensure that they're delivering you know in a purposeful way. Uh, with their their their, you know, business partners and all that. So essentially, getting a lot of the the, the mechanics of traditional, um, um, you know, let's call it data center hosting and those those types of things, kind of out of the way of the delivery chain, if you will. You used a term there that I
1: think is interesting. The term working the infrastructure. What's that mean, and how does that fit into what you're what you've described there?
3: sure sure so one of the things that's primarily primarily the the, you know the focus is uh to ensure that the the infrastructure while it's it's going to continue to be there right and when i say infrastructure i i mean more than just the you know brick and mortar data centers i'm talking about uh our cloud environments as well right so so essentially getting those things uh you know out of the, the the way of of delivery, if you will. So so what that ultimately means is that our teams have to be focused on, on automation. Uh, they have to be focused on self-servicing uh, to ensure that the developer, as well as, you know, uh, other consumers that may be out there that are doing things, uh, you know, like, you know, producing and, and um, uh, putting out APIs, you know, and ensure, ensure that they have the ability to self-service, uh, if you will. So infrastructure as a code, Uh, It has to be more than just kind of a term. It has to be, you know, baked into the sausage, if you will. What does the
1: platform look like now at VA? What does the landscape look like regarding uh, cloud transition and data center? You mentioned data centers and agencies are some people are calling it optimization. Some people are calling it modernization. Some people are talking about transitioning completely out of data centers and moving exclusively to the cloud. What's that look like at VA right now?
3: Yeah, it's still a kind common of a mix, if you will. So if I if I was to put on uh, you know my trajectory hat that that says you know where are we going to be uh, you know four years from now, three years from now, two years from now, that that kind of thing, um, you know, our, our our overall landscape is actually pretty um, um, you know it, it's pretty significant from a uh, uh, from a a system standpoint we have all, we have a you know thousands of systems that are sitting out there but but it's really relegated to four primary data centers uh brick and mortar data centers that that, that is uh, and we have some regional data centers as well uh, to deal with you know some of the things that have to be dealt with at those local geographies if you will uh, and then from a from a cloud perspective what we're doing is as we get opportunities to um, maybe there's a contract that that we have to reevaluate for a regional data center Uh, and rather than than going into that new contract, if we have the capability for either moving that to one of our other four primary data centers or moving those students to the cloud, we take those opportunities. Uh, But I expect over the next two years, currently we're sitting at approximately uh, you know, a hundred, a little bit more than a hundred applications, major applications sitting in our our uh, our, our cloud environments. Uh, that's both AWS and, and Azure. Um, you know, and so so that's probably uh, 15% of our total portfolio of applications. Uh, over the next two years, I expect that we will have you know approximately 300 or so. So so the idea is be, be at some point in time we'll have a you know close to a 50-50 mix, but I don't see us walking away entirely from, from our, our brick and mortar data centers. But what I do see is our ability to uh, essentially um, eliminate the, the the conversation of whether something is hosted uh, in a data center on-premise, if you will, uh, in and in a cloud by by working and modernizing our, our hosting capability uh, via platform services, right? And that's basically you know a layer above both the cloud as well as the data center itself so where we move our workload and where we you know actually run things uh, should be really transparent or, or, or um, immaterial to to our customer base uh, that gives us the ability to uh, make sense of what is going on with an application or with the capability uh, give us the ability to, to do things based on performance uh, and and how things are running versus you know the the, the emotional, uh do we host it here do we host it there so you know we, we have we have some very good uh times coming ahead of us uh we have some challenges um but um those things can be overcome again through you know traditional uh, uh automation and, and and workload management types of uh instantiations that we're working on
1: reginald cummings thanks very much for joining me it's great to have you on the program
3: thank you sir appreciate your time
1: Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every one of our programs when you sign up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose.
0: Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Cherise Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.